Amen. So we are closing out our series called Vertical Story, and it's the last week of it, the fifth week of it. And uh, I want to just wrap it up with a simple thought, and we've got a few minutes left uh, in the day. But um, two years ago, I preached a little bit of this type sermon, and so some of these thoughts might be a little bit familiar to you. But I really felt like God was, was saying, hey, this is how I want you to end this series, uh, a really pointed idea that I think we can all kind of walk away with and, uh, and remember you know, as we go forward, um, hey, you know, this is this is essentially how we do it, if you will, practical application, if you will. And so we've been talking about in this series how the scripture says that we are living epistles. We're living stories of God to be read by men. And so what God is doing in our lives is on display for people to see. Some people say uh, some people may never read a Bible, but they'll read you. And so the way that we live is scripture on display. It's the ways of God in our communities. And so some people may never come to a church, may never open a Bible, but if they can watch and observe you, amen. That's why the scripture talks often about how and what we do with our neighbors and, and those around us. And so we've been taking a look at, you know, what it looks like to, to live this vertical story and to live in a way that we're giving glory unto God. Our tagline here is that we love others toward God. We want to live in a way that it inspires other people into the goodness of God. And so to do that, we have to be intentional about our story. No author or no movie maker or director sits down and says, well, I'm going to make a movie and well, what's it going to be about? Well, just come what may, whatever. We'll just find whatever happens in that. And they just film a little bit of this and a little bit of that and write a little bit of this. And there's no real purpose to it. Everybody who's out to make an impactful story, which we're out to make an impactful story for God, is intentional about what we're trying to say and what we're trying to communicate and what we're trying to display. Amen? And so the scripture goes on and 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 on about vision and implementation and vision and what God says and what we do with it and all this application stuff. Why? Because how we live out is ultimately even how we're judged. Scripture talks often about stewardship. What you do with what you have is what God cares about. Amen. So Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, people perish. We know that. But it's one thing to have vision. It's a whole nother thing to go and move in the direction toward the vision that you have. The scripture says without vision, there, people perish. Basically, people cease to exist, one translation says. Or you cease to be successful or you cease to be accomplishing when you have no vision. You just, you're just not there. You're unsuccessful. And so we have to have vision, but vision has to be followed with some type of direction. We have to do something with that. Everybody, especially when I was a youth pastor, said, oh, you know, how, you know, this culture is so bad. And, you know, these young people, they're so messed up. And, you know, what's the problem? We don't have a drug problem. We don't have a depression problem. We don't have a suicide problem. We don't have a bullying problem. We have a lack of vision and inspiration problem in our countries and communities. Amen? I think if people got inspired by something, by the things and the ways of God, and they were actually drawn to a light and drawn to the power that the Bible talks about, we wouldn't deal with any of these things. Because they'd have vision and they'd have direction and they'd follow in those ways. Amen? Luke chapter 4 talks about how, uh, how silly would it be if you were somebody who was going to go build a tower, but you didn't estimate and calculate what it would take to do that. It also says how silly would it be for a general to go to war and not consider and take a look at the people that he has and the artillery that he has and all. So it's saying pay attention to what you're setting out to do. And I just wonder how many of us in our life don't actually count the cost on a daily basis of what it's going to take for us to accomplish what God has called us to do. 
We're good at getting a vision. We're good at being inspired by God. But actually taking a look at what it takes to build that tower. Somebody say amen. We don't spend a lot of time doing that. We let distractions come in and we let this come in and that come in. And we let all these other things pull us away from what God's actually trying to use us to build. So it's important when we talk about our story to make sure we're taking a good evaluation of what we're doing with that vision. Most of the people that come to me in my life that have problems, so people come and they have this great struggle and they need help, it's pretty easy to go back to where it all fell apart. Well, what was your plan? Well, we didn't have one. Well, did you guys make, well, we didn't make a, well, what were you guys doing? Well, we didn't really talk about that. Well, it's easy. The scriptures, or a mentor of mine says, when you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. So, so many of us, we're aiming at nothing because we haven't set a plan. We haven't set a trajectory. We, and you end up with nothing because you shot for nothing. We have to be people who, who get a vision and set a direction and make sure we're about that story that God has called us to. Amen. Matthew 6.33, the very famous scripture says, we're to seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to us. What does that mean? It means that success is in knowing what you're seeking. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will come after that. Well, you need to know what you're seeking because that's where that success will be added to you. So what does it look like for your kids and for your job and for your money? What do all of those things look like when we're talking about seeking and building the story? What is the kingdom? What kind of people are in it? What does it look like and sound like? What kind of people, how do you let them talk in your life? How do you let them influence you? All of those type things matter when you're seeking first righteousness. 1 Corinthians 11 28, it's like what we just did with communion. Communion, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight says, let a man examine himself. Uh, one says daily, alludes to how daily you should be somebody who is, is taking your time in prayer uh, and in thinking and saying, hey, where am I at on this? Because we all have blind spots, amen? Uh, I heard a pastor say this so just brilliantly, just such a theologian. He said, blind spots are like B.O., Everyone knows you have them except for you. Like, and I'm fine. I don't have, well, I got to tell you something. And that's how we live with blind spots because we're people who aren't, you know, checking up on things. You know what I'm saying? So we got to be people who are paying attention. There's this great story about the, uh, the desire that Jesus has to be on point. Jesus is very resolute about what he's trying to accomplish. And we can pick it up here in Luke chapter 4, verse 40. A little bit of reading, and then I'll kind of break it down. But it says, At sunset, people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying hands on each of them, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. Scripture says, At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. When they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving but he said i must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of god to other towns that is why i was sent so i want to focus in on this one part here where it says this at daybreak jesus went out to a solitary place so the first point i want to make in us being people who execute properly on our story and make sure our vision is followed with direction and that we're on point the first thing is you have to have a solitary place where you go out that's quiet even jesus He's doing all these miracles. He's the son of God. He's talking directly with his father, which we'll read about here in a minute. He says, I don't do anything unless my father instructs me to do it. He was even a person who said, hey, I have to make sure there's moments in my day 
where I get away from everything else and I'm in a solitary place. Some would call it maybe an introverted place or you could maybe say it was a friendless place or some might even call it an unpopular place. Some in our culture, maybe we would call it an unconnected or an un wi fi place, amen? <laughs> but you get to a place where you step back and you say, this is my place where I'm going to recharge, I'm going to rehear, and then I'm going to go back out in the power of the Spirit, amen? So number one, we have to have a solitary place. But then the scripture says this at the end. So all these miracles are taking place, all this good stuff. And he goes to a solitary place and they come back to him and say, hey, all these people are coming. We need you. And the scripture says that Jesus says, no, I'm actually going to leave because I need to be about why I was sent. Number two, we need to know in our lives what you were sent about. I know this is all just terrible English and that's just how I preach, but you can write it however you want. But you need to know the reason why you're sent. When you wake up in the morning, what are you sent to? I know your kids and I know your job and I know you can even put those in boxes of routine. But what if, like Andy was saying last week, we were a people who on our way of busyness and on our travel, we were still people who say, hey, I'm sent with a mission to make sure that I notice others. Amen. So we need to know why we're sent. He knew every day he had a purpose. So check out this story. And you've heard me mention it before, probably. But there's this story. Here's Jesus and the town people come to him and the night before he's doing miracles and all of this good news is being spread and people come to him and say, hey, good news, Jesus. I'm glad we found you. Uh, all kinds of people are coming from other towns. We would like to see more miracles and more healing and more deliverance. And then Jesus is like, well, no, actually, I got to go. And we're like, what? But there's good people coming and there's real need and we need you to do this, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to leave. I actually got to be about why I'm sent. I need to keep going on the thing that I'm called to do. But wait a minute. This is good over here. This is a good thing. Jesus still said no. So at some point, Jesus actually turned his back on good and real need. It's possible for us to say no to good things. So many of us get caught in this pit of you have to say yes to everything and yes to everything and you got to be a good Christian and you, well, I should do that to help them and I should do that to help them and I should do that. But you don't do the thing that God has actually designed you and created you to actually do. The reason why you were sent. So Jesus says, I, I, gotta, I gotta go. And think of the things that were triggered here in his life. I'm sure there were guilt trippers, right? Oh, Jesus, I thought you were the Messiah. I thought you loved everyone. How many of you have ever got that card played on you? thought that you loved me, right? Or think about this one. We don't think about this too often with Jesus, but think about Jesus' ego at this point, if we could even say that. Obviously, we believe he's meek and humble, but he was also man tempted with ego. So you have this great crowd that travels from another city coming to see you. Wouldn't it be easy for us to justify, hey, I know that's why I'm really sent, but it feels good to be over here where the crowd thinks I'm a pretty big deal. How many of us stay involved in something that we shouldn't be involved in because the ego part of it makes us feel like we're doing good things? We're doing good things, but we're not doing the best thing. And so Jesus was able to just even put his ego aside and say, hey, it'd be great, but I need to be about why I was sent, amen? So Jesus, point number three, Jesus had an understanding that he didn't have to do it all. You can come to a place where you can understand one of the healthiest things you can do 
in making your story great and making your story accomplished is being a person who understands that you don't have to do it all for everybody. Boundaries. Somebody say amen. I'm not going to get into all that right now, but, but it's okay that you don't have to do it all. Now, listen, I'm the pastor who weekly you'll hear me talk about. It's so important for us to serve. And I believe being a part of your local body and your church and giving back and all that stuff is extremely important. But if that's in front of what God's best is for you, then it's okay to say no. Amen. But I'd really prefer that you say yes. <laughs> so there was great opportunity. That's why the scripture says in Psalm 27 or 37, it says that the steps of a good man or a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Because there is a direction that we are called to walk that is ordained by God. And there is direction by God that's important. And so we always think of that as sin. Well, oh, don't get off the wrong step. Because, but you can be walking with God and still take the wrong steps. The steps of righteous living is ordered of the Lord. Amen? So the scripture begins to really point out how serious Jesus is about being about his mission. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, At the time, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. One translation of resolutely is stubbornly or purposefully he set out for Jerusalem. In Luke 13, it says, Then Jesus went to the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Luke chapter 17, now on his way to Jerusalem, and it speaks about the miracles he did. In Luke 18, it says, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 19, verse 28, it said, And Jesus had said this as he went on his way to Jerusalem. So the writers aren't being redundant for the sake of being redundant. What they're doing here is trying to make the point obvious that the important thing here was that Jesus got to Jerusalem. The mission was that he got to Jerusalem. Why? Because that's where his destiny and his calling all unfolded. That's where the cross and that's where everything happened. So along the way, he met the needs of people and he did good things and he spread good news. But he kept the main thing the main thing. I wonder how many of us in our lives... We just let so many distractions dictate our direction. Scripture said that in the last day, there'll be seducing spirits. And we think, well, it's going to be that. And it's going to be that. And we make it all this evil stuff. It's going to be that thing and that thing. But how many know, I believe that literally the spirit of distraction could come upon the church and it could be a seducing spirit. We just get distracted. Amen. Yeah. So could it be the reason Jesus had such great strength is because he had such a great filter about keeping the main thing the main thing. And the trouble that I see in church, and I see it daily, is that so many of us aren't, like Jesus was, resolute about what our main thing is. We accept any old doctrine now. If somebody writes a Facebook blog about it, we say, yep, that sounds good. I believe that now. Instead of getting in our word and finding out what God really speaks to you about it. Amen? And so don't be distracted. He, he had great strength because he had a great filter. Everything we do should be held up to our main thing that God has assigned us to and called us to. I'll close with this, Maddie, if you'll come. Scripture says this, and this is a point I really want us to bring home, is Jesus dealt with people in numbers. And so I know this is kind of big, maybe even a little bit of like theology, uh, but Jesus dealt with people in numbers. And a lot of people take this idea and they turn it into leadership principles and all this kind of stuff. But I want us to just look at it in terms of the big idea. So you see in the book of Acts, when Jesus was resurrected, we see that 120 people gathered in the upper room. So you see a number of 120. But then you see in Luke chapter 10, 
that after uh, the Lord Jesus appointed 72. So you see a number of 120, you see a number of 72 mentioned, and then later you see he has 12 disciples. That's another number mentioned. And then you also see uh, up the mountain, he takes three. So he has all these numbers, 120, 72, 12, and three. But notice he didn't take 120 up the mountain when he was gonna reveal something powerful and private. He took a few with him. Many times in our life, and think about it, think about the other nine. He takes three up and the other 12, think about what he had to deal with. Oh, that's not fair. Why were they chosen? Why were this? Why were that? There was probably a pressure for him to take the masses with him. How many of you would say we feel the pressure to include the masses? Everyone needs to know about it on Facebook. Everybody needs to know about the everyone. And I got to make sure I stay in the masses. I need to watch that thing and I need to catch up on this thing and I need to be a part of that thing and I need to, we have all of this stuff that we try to go deep with. But really, all that allows us to do, all that keeps us doing is staying shallow with many. God understood that there was power in going deep with few. And I'm not saying, oh, we should be exclusive and we should only keep a few out. But what I'm saying is he understood that there is potential for us to be distracted with masses. And we live in such a loud culture now that's trying to bombard you with masses, notifications and emails and da-da-da. So we're always getting at us. And if we give our time to all of those things all the time, look how shallow we stay. But we should be a people that understand, my point number four, is that there is strength in refinement. Being people who can say, hey, I'm gonna refine this thing to its best tuning, to its strongest tuning. And again, that's not like with our nose up, like, oh, you are not one of my 120. <laughs> you know, it's not like somebody gets a buddy bracelet, you're one of my three. <laughs> Let's get a three tattoo. <laughs> I have a three tattoo, but that's for NASCAR, so. <laughs> Half of you believe me. <laughs> but there's strength in refinement. And this culture tries to push us in a way that I got to keep up with the game. I got to keep up with the wardrobe. I have to keep up with this type neighborhood, this type school, this type, this, this type. And we, we're always competing for the thing that we need to keep up with because we want to stay in the masses of popularity, but there's strength in us in refinement. So get with God in a solitary place and speak to him and say, God, what, what is your assignment for my story? Give me a vision and then help me walk in that direction because I don't want to be distracted. And what I love about John chapter five, verse 19, Jesus is speaking about his relationship with God, his father. And he says this, he says, Jesus gave this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. One translation says he guides him in all that he does. It's great to go to a great church. It's great to be a part of a good Bible study. It's great to be a part of groups. It's great to be a part of all of these uh, devotionals. You can do all these type things. But if you aren't a person who's being led by your father, you're still gonna come up short. We have to listen to our heavenly father. So we say, well, I've never heard the voice of God. That's not what I'm talking about. 
I'm talking about you desire relationship with God where he speaks to you. You say, well, I just told you, I never heard the voice. of You know when God speaks to you. It can be through the word. It can be through a song. It can, but you're saying, God, I want to hear from you. Some people can hear from God through art and through nature and all this. And I'm not going to get too far down the hippie road, but God speaks. Amen. You can worship through a lot of ways that you acknowledge God. I don't do anything unless the father guides me in it is what he was saying. We got to be a people say that the most important thing we do on our journey or our story is we be a people who hear what the father would say and reveal to us. Amen. I'll close with this. We live in a society of options and the problem with options is they pull you in many directions. And the problem with that is at the end of the day, it could pull you apart. How many of you have ever ended a day pulled apart? Just, oh my gosh, what a week, what a day. And I realize there's some things you can't say no to, but if you could strip back and say, I need to eliminate some options. Clearly we've decided as a family, we're saying no to that. We don't have to do that. We don't have to be a part. All of these things that may be pulling us we don't feel the pressure of having to keep up with that because the heavenly father hasn't told us to. Amen. We got to do what God has called us to do and what he's spoken to us to do.